Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from the series, I Believe. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Forward Church. If you're new with us, we are in the sixth week, or we're in the sixth week of a study that we're studying through the Apostles' Creed. And I made it very clear that we are not preaching the Apostles' Creed, but we are preaching the scriptures that the Apostles' Creed affirms. So this week, I'm going to be addressing a line in the Creed that I would guess many of you have been wondering about and been thinking when we get to that, what what does that mean? And I'm going to be addressing what um, is kind of a confusing statement that Jesus descended into hell. Because that can raise some questions, right? That can raise questions of, and cause confusion for us. Did he literally descend into hell? And if we stray from what the Bible actually says about that, we could get confused. Because, you see, it's very important that in this case um, that we base our belief, and in all cases, that we base our belief on what the Bible has to say and we resist temptation to fill in the gaps. Because sometimes we can kind of come up in our mind and think of what that looked like, what that was, and, and what happened there. And there are many man-made creative um, theories on what happened um, according to this statement. So again, we're not preaching the Apostles' Creed. We're preaching what the Bible has to say that the Apostles' Creed affirms. And today we're going to understand more what that statement actually means. So we're going to dig into what the Bible actually says today about that. And this line of the Apostles' Creed we're looking at today says, He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time in the second part of that phrase, right? Because the resurrection is so much more important to our faith than the first part of that statement. But I want us to tackle that first part so we can come to an understanding of what that really means. And this phrase descended into hell. It was not even a part of the original versions of the Apostles' Creed. So the earliest writings, the earliest recordings of the Apostles' Creed did not have that line in there. It was added sometime later. Historians believe it was by a guy named Rufus in AD 390. I hope I'm saying his name right. That's how I'm going to say it. Um, But even to this day, there are many churches who, as they recite the Apostles' Creed, they will leave out that part descended into hell because we don't believe that he actually went to the place called hell. We don't believe that he actually went there because the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus did go to hell, unless we begin to understand the use of the word hell in that statement when Rufinus made that. You see, the Greek word um, that he used whenever he wrote this statement was the word Hades, and Hades can literally mean the grave. So he did not use the word Gehenna, which is another word for hell, which means a place of punishment, which means a place of separation from God. And that's what we, our minds go to when we think of the word hell, right? We think of Gehenna, separation from God, eternal torment, and that's where our minds go. But the word originally used was Hades, which literally can mean the grave. So it's widely understood by theologians that Rufinus was simply stating that the body of Jesus was dead, Because we talked about, right, how he was crucified, dead, and then buried, and then placed in a grave. So this is another way of recognizing that Jesus, in his humanness, as he was fully human, faced the very same death that you and I will also face, because he came to take our place, right? That's what we've been learning. So one day, our bodies will be descended into a grave, in Greek terms, Hades, right? 
just like the body of Jesus was. So it kind of makes you wonder why the, the writers of the Apostles' Creed didn't just say that, right? Why didn't they just say it that way? Well, languages change over time, and the way we understand words are different from the way they understood words, so they did say that. Because to them, when he said Hades, they understood that his body was put in a grave because he was literally dead. So that's why many churches just leave that line out altogether, because it can be confusing in our vernacular and what we understand, and we can... Um, misunderstand what that is but I wanted to leave it in because it's important for us to know what is truly meant there you see many have thought um, and speculated that this means that while the body of Jesus lay dead in the grave that he went and he visited hell there have been teachings on that that he preached to the spirits in prison and basically where that comes from is a text in first Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 19 that says this that says for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which, so in the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. So this is a confusing text as well. But in this text, it tells us that Jesus went in a spirit form at some time, and he preached to the spirits in prison from Noah's day. So the difficulty with that passage of Scripture is that there's no other supporting text to explain it, and, and um, what we um, have is just that verse. So we don't know, one, when he did that. We don't know to whom exactly he was speaking to, and we don't know exactly what the prison was. So it's one of those verses where we have to take it and look at it for what it is and not add to it. So to conclude that that happened during the time while the body of Jesus lay in the grave is to add to what Scripture actually tells us. So what we do know is this, that there are several scriptures that do tell us where Jesus was um, and that he was somewhere else during the time between his death and resurrection. So you have to look at what does scripture say and what do we believe about what scripture says. So if you look at Luke chapter 23, verse 43, I want us to look at the very words of Jesus as he speaks to the thief on the cross who is asking Jesus to remember him. And what does Jesus say? He says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, those are the very words of Jesus proclaiming that as soon as he dies, that today, after I die, that I'm going to be in paradise, not in hell, not in Gehenna, okay? So this, this guy, he says, is going to be with him in paradise, in the presence of God. Then at the moment of his death, Jesus said this, recorded in Luke 23, 46, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So what does that tell us? Where is Jesus going the moment that he dies on the cross? into the presence of God, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he's going to be with God, his Father, not in literal hell. So this tells us at the death of Jesus that he's going to be in God's hands, in his presence. There's no more separation. So we remember as we've been learning through this and we talked about the crucifixion, that on the cross, Jesus experienced what we might explain as hell, right? He experienced Gehenna, separation from God, because there was that time when he took on the sins of the world where God, he was forsaken by God. God had to turn his back on him, so to speak, because he was, he became sin for us. So that was a moment where it's as though he experienced hell as he separated from God and he took on the sins of the world. Now at his death, 
The Bible teaches us that Jesus is being reunited with his Father in heaven. Jesus knew that death for him meant no longer meant separation from him, but it meant fellowship with him. Into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus, upon his death, was with God, not in literal hell. So as he breathed his last breath as a human, what did Jesus proclaim? He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's John 19, 30. And what that tells us is that separation from God was finished. The moment on the cross where he was taking on the sins of the world and he was separated from God was finished. His punishment was done. The work of Jesus on the cross was complete. And upon looking at those verses, when we look at Scripture, we can, we can say that, okay, it's obvious that Jesus, when he died, when he was lowered into the grave, as he descended into the grave, that he was with and in the presence of God. And upon looking at those verses, R.C. Sproul, in his book titled What We Believe, which is a book he wrote about the Apostles' Creed, said this. He said, when all the evidence is considered, it seems quite improbable that Jesus literally descended into hell. And that, friends, is why we study the scriptures and not the creed. Because you see, if we just went by the creed, we might get confused on what that really is and what that means. But we look at the scriptures and what do they say about where Jesus was when he died, then we begin to understand, okay, he was in the presence of God. He was separated from God on the cross, but then he was in the presence as soon as he took his last breath. You see, the Bible gives us clarity. And a very wise way to live is to live by this motto that where the Bible speaks, I'm going to speak. Or the Bible's silent, I'm going to remain silent. And when we have issues that we don't understand about the Bible, we, we, we don't add our own thoughts and our own, our own feelings to it. Of, oh, well, here's probably where he was and what was going on. We look at what does the Bible say and what can I conclude from that. To add our opinions on to where and what, it can simply cause confusion and can mislead us. So why do we include this statement as it is? Why do we keep it in the Apostles' Creed? I think it's because of this. That phrase descended into hell, and when we understand it, it helps us feel the weight of our sinfulness. When we understand what Jesus went through on the cross, when we understand that he was crucified, dead, and buried, and he descended into Hades, the grave, then we understand he died for my sin. He literally was put into the grave for my sinfulness. So we begin to understand the weight of it when we repeat that part of the Apostles' Creed. So Jesus was literally dead because of my sin. He was laid in Hades in a grave. Wayne Grudem, in his book on Bible doctrine, says this. He says, Christ in his death on the cross completely satisfied the demands of God's righteous judgment of sin and fully bore the wrath of God against that sin. There was no need for Christ to suffer further after his death on the cross. So when we say he descended into hell, it doesn't mean that Jesus went to hell. It means that he descended into the grave because the payment was done, the separation was over, and now he was with God. Albert Muller Jr. said it this way. He said, even as we confess that Christ descended into hell, we get ready to celebrate that Hades could not hold him. Right? And we sing about that. We sing about how the grave couldn't hold him down, that death could not hold Jesus. He overcame death. And, and that's what we really celebrate is the resurrection of Christ because we believe that on the third day he rose again. And that's the part we really want to focus on today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because it's the foundation of our faith. In his book titled Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell says this. He says, when we consider the significance of the resurrection, we see that the resurrection of Jesus and Christianity either rise together or fall together. 
You see, the resurrection is so important to our faith that we need to understand the resurrection and why we believe in it. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the Apostle Paul said it this way, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The Gospels contain a ton of testimony to the resurrection. And those that that want to oppose the gospel, what they do is they try to take away the resurrection and try to make up excuses and say, that well, he didn't really die. You know, there's a swoon theory that, you know, his heart rate just got so low, they thought he was dead, they put him in there, he recovered, came out, and, and didn't really resurrect. And there's all kinds of different things that people try to take away the resurrection because the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And Scripture speaks to it a lot. You know, the the Gospels contain a ton of testimony about the resurrection. The book of Acts is all about the apostles proclaiming the resurrected Christ. The letters to the churches, they speak of a living and risen Savior who is the head of the church. And the book of Revelation repeatedly shows us this risen Savior who is reigning in heaven and awaiting his time of return to us. So the entire New Testament is about Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, the resurrected King. And the fact that if he were not risen, then our faith would be in vain. What would we really have faith in? Now, an important thing for us to realize is that his body was physically risen. See, I think sometimes we picture his resurrection kind of more like a spiritual thing, right? We kind of picture him like, like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda and Anakin in Star Wars and this spirit being standing, right? We would kind of picture that he spiritually rose and he was in this some kind of weird state, but he physically rose, The scriptures point to that over and over again. It was his body that was risen, not some spiritual spirit force realm, okay? Norman Geisler said this. He said, the truth of Christianity is based on the bodily resurrection of Christ. And throughout the New Testament, we see example after example of how Jesus was there in front of people. If you look at John chapter 20, it shows you quite a bit. He appears to Mary Magdalene in his body, and she thinks he's the gardener. So he's not some spirit, you know, glowing angel formation. He is Jesus in the flesh there. She thinks he's the gardener, so he's in his body. He also appears to the disciples, and he shows them his hands and lets them see the scars um, in his body, in his physical body. The Bible says he breathes on them to show them that he has breath in his lungs. He is a living bodily being, and he tells them, receive the Holy Spirit as he breathes on his disciples. He, he has Thomas who was doubting. He says, Thomas, come here. You know, put your hand right here. You can feel the spear wound where they, where they, where they pierced my body. And Thomas touches him. And, and then Jesus eats fish with them, showing that he, he needed food. And he sat and he ate with them. And there's several occurrences where Jesus showed up in the body to, to many different people. And he did this simply to prove that he had resurrected bodily, that his body had come out of the grave and conquered death so that they would believe and so that you and I would believe today that we have a risen king. Now, look at John 20, 30 through 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, he overcame the grave. He was alive. He is alive. He will be alive in a resurrected body that does not perish, does not get weak, cannot die. He physically rose from the grave, and here's why that's so important to our faith. Since the resurrection of Christ was physical, was bodily, he overcame death, he overcame the grave, then our hope 
in him is real because we see that he paid the price. He overcame death. Our price has been paid for us. Therefore, our salvation is secure. Otherwise, if Jesus never resurrected, what would we have our hope in? What would we place our hope in? Just, it would literally just be hope, right? I sure hope this works out. But instead, our hope is secure, meaning we have belief in the resurrected Christ, and therefore we have hope for tomorrow. It's not simply wishful thinking. Because if Jesus did not resurrect bodily, then we would have no assurance that his sacrifice could or would cover our sins. But because the resurrection did occur, our confidence is that all our sins are forgiven. All of them. Past sins, present sins, future sins. Do you know your future sins are forgiven? Because think of this, all of our sin was future sin when Jesus died on the cross. Every single sin you ever committed was future sin when he died on the cross. So what makes us think that only my sin from here back is forgiven and then my future sin can't be? It's all of our sin when we place our faith in Jesus Christ is forgiven. Have you ever thought about that? I think so many of you wonder about whether or not your place is secure because you know that you're going to sin again. You know that you're going to stumble. You know that you're going to fall. Listen, the sacrifice of Jesus was good the first time. And when we place our faith in him, the Bible tells us that we are made new, that we are forgiven of our sins. There's no additional sacrifice needed, but what is required, what the Bible tells us, what is required is repentant hearts. So we're called to repent of our sin meaning we turn from our sin, and by faith in Jesus, that sin is forgiven. So the bill was paid. It was paid in full. It means that I don't owe anything. It means that you don't owe anything once you place your faith in Jesus because your sin has been taken care of forever. Therefore, that changes the way we should live our lives. We move from guilt to conviction. So what we do is we drop guilt over our sin and we pick up conviction for our sins. That's what changes when we become a new creation. We recognize that while we still sin and that sin is forgiven, we now feel conviction for that sin. Therefore, we repent of it and we stop living in that sin pattern because now we have a newfound conviction. So those of us who believe in the resurrection of Christ and we understand that His Holy Spirit lives inside of us, when we sin, we now feel grief over that sin. We feel conviction over that sin. We thank God that he forgives that sin. We repent of that sin because of our conviction and we move away from that sin. However, if we don't understand that, then what happens is we feel guilty for that sin and then we want to hide from God for that sin and we withdraw because of that sin. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, those of us who believe, we receive a spiritual resurrection. And the Bible teaches us that. Look at this beautiful passage in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we were dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Guess what? That says we all once lived. Not just some of us. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So we all were dead carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, two of the most beautiful words in the Bible. When you see but God, that means God did something. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, it made us what? Alive together with Christ. So he took our deadness and our sin, and he spiritually resurrects us to life in 
Christ, and it says, by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You see the beauty of that? We were once dead, but through faith in Jesus, he resurrects us spiritually into a new life. To walk in him, to do good works because of him. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we experience as Christians this spiritual resurrection. We once were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we're made alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were dead, now we're not. And what that means is that we're no longer slaves to sin. As a Christian, you're no longer a slave to sin, and that is amazing news. That's something that we should all grasp, the reality that we are freed from sin. Now, does that mean that I won't sin anymore? No, I'm, I'm, I'm still gonna sin. You better believe it. Every one of us will. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, it might be in a couple of hours. The difference, like I said, for a Christian, when we understand the resurrected life is when I understand the resurrected life, I feel that conviction. I'm grateful for the grace that, that God gives me. And then I lean into and I move closer to God for comfort and forgiveness that he offers through his amazing grace. But when we don't understand the resurrected life, then we begin to feel overwhelmingly guilty for our sin and we cower in shame. We withdraw from other Christians. We move away from our small group. We stop coming to church. We try to hide from God because we have guilt over our sin, and we do begin to suffer with these feelings of inadequacy or these, these feelings of people are judging me. Listen, conviction is a gift from God. Conviction leads us to repentance. Guilt is a weapon of Satan. If as a Christian you feel guilt for your sin, that's Satan trying to drag you down and pull you away from God, trying to isolate you and push you away. When you understand the resurrection of Christ, that he overcame the grave for you, then you live under conviction and repentance. You live from that place of conviction now. So we have this beautiful truth of spiritual resurrection and this freedom that it brings us and this physical resurrection will give us, um, this spiritual resurrection then also points us to a physical resurrection that will um, give us new and immortal bodies. And that's something that we look forward to. It's the hope that we look forward to, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, a little bit lengthy, but it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, which means these bodies that we're in right now, they, they can't go into the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that beautiful? Our hope 
is not just for today being resurrected spiritually. Our hope is that one million years from now, we will rule and reign alongside of Jesus Christ in an imperishable physical body, in a new body, not this body, because the Bible makes it clear, and personal experience even makes it clear, that this body is not made for the next world. This body is falling apart, right? This body is breaking down. And I can tell you that I'm, I'm 48 years old now. And while I, I feel really good for my age, I know that things don't work now like they used to work when I was in my 20s, right? I move a little slower in the mornings. Things ache a little bit more. I still get to run, but it takes me a little while longer to get up to cruising speed, right? There's no explosiveness now like there used to be, okay? You know, I used to be able to jump pretty high, but, but I tried jumping not too long ago, and I'm not sure that my feet got off the ground. And when I landed, I just had these sharp pains shoot through my legs. So I don't think I'm going to try that anymore. Because my body is not the same as it used to be. And we all know that's true, that these bodies, they're wasting away. This body's not going to last. It's not built for eternity. But it will be resurrected, and it will be made new, and it will become imperishable. And that gets me excited. That is what we hope for, that we have spiritual resurrection now, and that we live by conviction of what Christ has done for us, and that we are forgiven of our sins, and that we'll be resurrected and we'll be made new and be imperishable. We're promised spiritual resurrection and physical resurrection. So we have hope for today, but we also have hope for tomorrow. So what does that mean for our everyday life right now? It should mean everything. It should mean everything for us. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead means you're no longer a slave to sin. That's what that means. Jesus has proven that he has defeated the effects of sin. So if you're struggling, if you have real issues that seem insurmountable, if the spiritual, um, spiritual resurrection you've experienced, if you've understood it and you now begin to believe it, you understand you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, then through faith in the resurrection of Jesus, what he does is he invites you into freedom that is reserved for the children of God. To truly live in that freedom is found when you begin to understand what you believe about Jesus rising on the third day. His resurrection provides a resurrection life for you. And because of his resurrection, the Holy Spirit was made available to empower you. The very same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available to live inside of you. Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, we as Christians have that same Holy Spirit living inside of us. Therefore, we're called to live like we have that Holy Spirit living inside of us, to be empowered by that, to live by the power of his spirit is to trust in his spirit and to, to lean on him, not our own understanding. So you're empowered, you are called, you are freed up to live this resurrected life. And the bondage of sin has been broken. The beauty of the Bible, the gospel is that the guilt from your past is forgiven. The penalty for your future sins is already paid. And the sting of death, it's gone. So when we believe in the resurrection, that breathes new life and freedom and forgiveness into how we live our daily lives. And that news should be incredibly freeing for many of us who have been living under guilt and oppression and frustration. Because here's what I know from, from many years of ministry and meeting with people who have struggled with sin in their life. Here's what I know. For the Christian, bondage to sin is not because the sin won't let go of us. It's because we haven't let go of the sin. And that's what we have to begin to understand. We are freed from that bondage. 
And don't miss that statement. If you have the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then sin no longer has a hold on you. If you're still struggling with sin, it's because you're holding on to that sin. And sometimes maybe it's because deep down we just still enjoy it. Maybe because deep down there's something about that sin that still entices us and we don't realize we're freed from it, that we can walk away from that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just have too much self-hate because of the effects of that sin. So you still struggle with it and you feel guilty by it. And, and you, you can't get away from it. Maybe your guilt is overwhelming, so you don't think you deserve a new life. Maybe, maybe until this point, you never knew that you could live a resurrected life. Whatever the case is, you need to know today that Jesus knew what he was paying for on that cross. He saw your sin. He knew your sin. Your sin doesn't surprise him. Your sin doesn't surprise him. And here, you know, I, I didn't put this in my notes, but I just, I was thinking of it this morning as I was praying. I want, I want to kind of illustrate what I think we do is I think we those of us that are Christians we live our Christian life and we have this conversion experience right and think of this stool as our conversion experience and when we have a conversion experience what we think of is okay all my sins between the cross and my conversion experience are forgiven but then we we live life and we get a little further away from our conversion experience and then we sin again and we kind of wonder is this sin forgiven is it forgivable I'm supposed to be following Jesus yet I stumbled and then we we struggle with guilt and shame and frustration and, and then the further we get away from our conversion experience, the more sins pile up in there and we just think I'm separated. I can't be close to God. How can I be close to him again? And what we're doing is we're, we're looking back and we're feeling guilt for that, but we're not looking back far enough. Because what we really should be doing is we should be looking back, not to our conversion experience, but we should be looking back all the way over to the cross. Because what happened on the cross? Your sins were forgiven. Your sins were paid for. The cross, the, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ meant that all of your sins, as you place your faith in Jesus, from that point to eternity, are forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can walk in freedom. Now, does that lead us to, to then just abuse grace and sin all the more? Would Paul say, absolutely not. That means we live by conviction of those sins. And we repent and we desire to walk in his ways because of the weight of what he did for us on the cross. So the next time the enemy tries to remind you of something from your past, you say, yeah, enemy, that did happen in my past. But guess what? Go all the way back over here. Go back to the cross. Guess what? Jesus paid for it. It's gone. It's done. I'm forgiven. I'm washed clean. I'm made new. I'm walking in newness of life now. I'm seeking Jesus with everything that I've got. And I'm going to follow him and I'm going to live in freedom, not bondage to what I did. So you own it and you move on in the freedom that Jesus gives you and has given you. It's been paid for on the cross. It's the beauty of the gospel that every single one of us in this room, we've all messed up. I mean, we don't need to share all of our stories. I don't need to tell you everything I've done in my life, but every single one of us has messed up to the point that we can look at it and go, I can't believe I did that. And Jesus says, by faith in me, it's gone. By faith in me, it's gone. It's forgiven. Now you walk in, in newness and freedom that I've given you because I've given you new life that's promised for today and I've given you new life that's promised for eternity. And when we have that understanding, we can face anything with hope-filled hearts. You see, there's a song from the late 90s written by the Gaithers, and I'm not necessarily a Gaither fan, but I came across this, and, and many of you may be familiar with it. I know the song. Many of us think it's a hymn, but it's really just from the late 90s. Um, therefore, many of us, I guess that's old to us. But um, it's called Because He Lives. 
in that song, they say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. And if we would begin to live by that and understand that and know the power of his resurrection and how we can now walk in freedom and we can live, we can face tomorrow no matter what tomorrow holds, because he lives. Jesus descended into hell so that I never have to. Jesus rose from the grave to give me new life. Listen, I don't know what your tomorrow looks like, but because Jesus is alive, then all fears about tomorrow, they should disappear. And why is that? It's because the one who overcame our death, or overcame death, he has our back. The one who overcame death, Jesus, he's alive. Jesus defeated the enemy. Jesus made death lose its sting. Because of Jesus, sin is vanquished. We are on the winning side awaiting the victory celebration. And in Revelation 3.20, the physically resurrected Jesus says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And what you need to understand about that today is that the resurrected Jesus continues to extend that invitation to you. He says, open the door and I will come in. But guess what? He doesn't say, open the door and I'll come in with a list of things for you to get better at. He doesn't say, open the door and I'll come in and I'm going to critique how you've lived your life so far. He doesn't say, open the door and I'll come in and, and tell you all the things you should have done, all the things you shouldn't be doing. He says, open the door and I'll come in and I'll enjoy a meal with you. You see, when you open your heart to Jesus, you open up the door of your heart to Jesus, then you have sweet fellowship with your risen Savior who desires to free you from the guilt and the shame of sin. So you've heard that in his resurrection, all of your sins can be forgiven today. You've heard that Jesus died for your sins. You've heard the truth of the gospel. You've heard there's no sin with more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. You've heard that Jesus has come into the world for this purpose, to save sinners and to free us from the bondage of sin. And he's knocking at the door and he's saying, I'm waiting. I'm right here for you to open up the door. And when you do, you'll find sweet fellowship with your Savior. Would you please stand with me? We're going to read um, what we've learned so far in the Apostles' Creed. We're going to read it together, and then we're going to open up the altar for our response to the gospel. And you see, the altar is, is just a place. It's a place where we come, and we bow a knee, and we get before God, and we just say, God, I'm opening the heart, opening the door of my heart to you. Maybe we come, and we say, God, I've been, I've been living feeling the guilt of sin, and I understand today that, that maybe that needs to be conviction, and I'm just going to repent of that sin, and I'm going to move forward towards you. Maybe you need to receive salvation today, then come to the altar. But we're going to repeat what we believe. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to let God work on our hearts. And if you're feeling him to impress you to come forward, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you and, and help you take next steps in your faith journey. Maybe you just need um, to come and just worship him for being an awesome God who frees you from the bondage of sin. We'll rejoice in that with you. But Apostles' Creed is going to be on the screen. We're going to read just up through what we learned today, if you read along with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again.
Amen to that. And because he lives, you and I, we can face tomorrow, no matter what tomorrow brings, because by faith, we can live a new and resurrected life by the power of his Holy Spirit that lives inside of every believer. Let's pray. Father, your word is so powerful. Your spirit is so true. And God, we just pray right now. We pray, Lord, as, as conviction has happened in this room, as we've heard your scriptures read, heard your scriptures taught, Lord, we know that the power is in your word. We pray you do a work in our hearts. And Father, if we're feeling conviction of any sin in our life, I pray we would just come to the altar now and we leave it at your feet, understanding and knowing and thanking you that it's forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross. May we walk out of here and walk in freedom and newness of life because of the beauty of the resurrection that proves to us that Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, the resurrected Savior. And that because of him, all of our sins can be forgiven. May we walk in freeness today. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his holy and precious and powerful name that we pray and we ask you to do a mighty work. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in the series, I Believe. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.